Well, good morning. Uh, we had a little water problem here at the Y, but uh, at least it's not our problem. Um, hopefully it'll get resolved. That's one of the reasons why uh, you'll be excited one day when we are in a different facility to, to help with that. Hasn't the weather been great this week? Woo! So you can clap. Thank God for the weather. He doesn't mind that. Um, well, another thing that we're really excited about is our Easter celebration that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And one of the things that we want to happen is for everyone to uh, invite family and friends and co-workers to come and be a part of that. And this week, I want to encourage you to invite one family member who's disconnected from Christ or the church uh, to come on Easter Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a great celebration um, we're looking forward to a real powerful moment that God's going to give to us. And so we want you to invite at least one uh, family member. Now, if you would, I'd like you to pull out uh, a little invitation card that you can give to your family member. It looks like this. It'll come up on the side screen. I'm going to read it and see how many of you actually get this. Uh, hey, you're invited to the jar on Easter Sunday. What? Does anyone know why? I didn't get it. But I wasn't the only one. Chuck Mock didn't get it either. And Jennifer Welch didn't get it. So if you have to explain it, there's a hint on the bottom there that you can, you can do that. Some of you are just now getting it and you're laughing, but you're trying to hold it back so you don't seem dumb. Uh, well, hey, we're real excited today, too, to have uh, Wes and Jeremy Guthrie uh, with us. Uh, they're brothers, and uh, they have a sister named Caitlin who attends here as well. And uh, I just wanted to uh, get a chance to uh, have you guys hear their story uh, just briefly of how they got connected to the jar through a card very similar to this. And so, Jeremy, if you would, um, kind of tell us how you got connected uh, to the jar. Well, it started with an invitation. Uh, I, uh, I heard about this, this church back in uh, 2009. I was going through some rough stuff and uh, moved back in with my sister and, you know, really depressed state of mind. And she just uh, didn't like seeing me like that. And I don't like being that way either. And uh, she invited me to the church called The Jar. And I'm like, well, what's that? And she's like, it's a pretty cool place. You'd like it, you know, really laid back. And I was like, okay, I'll try it out, you know. And first Sunday I came, I was like, wow, this place is really hip, you know. Like, the music is like, okay, I can dig this, you know. So. And the teaching know. wasn't too bad, right? Yeah, the teaching, I, I mean, I don't remember, but obviously <laughs> I came back, you know, so. That's good. So your sister then, with something similar to this, she just comes home. She knows you're going through some stuff. She invites you to come. You come for the first time. And then what has kind of happened to your life since then? Oh, man, my life has been completely changed because of the jar. Like, I just, I'm so proud to call this, this church my family. And I love being here every Sunday and just singing and listening to what you have to say through God. And just the way it moves me, it helps me through each and every week. And I'm just so honored to be here. I mean, you know, through small groups, through Celebrate Recovery, just volunteering, it's, it's been a major major motivation in my life. So a small invitation really impacted your life. Absolutely. Uh, 
And then, Wes, um, how did you kind of get connected? So Caitlin gets connected first. She invites Jeremy. Then uh, what happens with you here, Wes? Well, at the time that uh, my brother and sister were both trying to get me to come to the jar, I was making fun of them a lot. Like, we had been forced to go to church when we were younger, and it was real boring, so I wasn't kind of too hip to wanting to go. So after denying them a lot and all that, um, I got in some trouble with the law, and my brother came back to me, and he gave me a card kind of like that and said, you should try it out. You know, they got some programs like Celebrate Recovery that might, you know, assist you becoming a better person. So I checked it out, and I've been coming back ever since because, I mean, this church redefines everything that, at least what I thought a church should be. Plus, at that time in my life, um, I was an agnostic, and I was kind of like a seeing as believing person. So this church has uh, restored my faith, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, I, one of the coolest <clears throat> things that I had the opportunity, I got to baptize both of these guys. And you know, they're not small. And uh, so when I... When I got to baptize them, it was so powerful um, to kind of see what God's done in their life. I always, I'm always glad they sit up close, too, so if anyone storms the stage, they'll take you out, okay? <laughs> so don't get any ideas. Um, but your entire family uh, has kind of been impacted, and I know now kind of your mom and dad's kind of on that list, too. And uh, we, uh, we're so grateful for you kind of sharing a little bit and challenging all of us. That family sometimes the hardest person to invite, but the impact it can have on your family when you do that uh, is tremendous. Let's give uh, Jeremy and Wes a hand. Well, let's uh, open up with some prayer. Let's pray. God, we uh, ask you to come right now through the power of your Spirit and to move in our midst. God, we thank you for a story like Jeremy and Wes's of lives that have been changed because of your power and of a simple invitation. And so, God, this week when we feel like, oh, it's going to take so much to, to invite someone, God, let us be reminded of how these two guys and their sister and one day, I pray, their entire family will be brought into a relationship with you and they'll have a home in heaven because of a small invitation. God, we ask now that you come through the power of your Holy Spirit and you teach us how to forgive the way you want us to forgive so that your name would be made great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are some things in life that just seem very, very unnatural. Um, maybe you think something looks normal, but then you look at it a second time, it looks a little unnatural. For instance, we got a few slides here. Here's the first one. Square watermelons? Really? Yeah. Okay, unnatural. Let's look at this next one. Yeah. That looks like a cousin of mine. 
Take a look at this one. That's just painful, you know? I mean, just painful. Well, today we're going to talk about something that is very unnatural. It's an unnatural behavior. Although Jesus asked us to kind of engage and to be a part of it, the reality is many of us don't want to because it is so unnatural. It's difficult for us. And what we're going to talk about this morning is forgiveness. Forgiving someone who has deeply wounded us goes against almost every single fiber of our being, doesn't it? I mean, it it just goes against the grain. Instead of forgiving, what we want to do is we want to lash out. We want to get even. We want to get revenge. And at the very least, we don't want to let go of our resentment and our bitterness. When people hurt us, we want to hurt them back. Now here's a true story that uh, I saw this week of the power of this unnatural kind of experience of forgiveness. It's a true story, and let me read it for you. Amy Bill, an idealistic California college student, wins a Fulbright scholarship to travel to South Africa to assist the anti-apartheid movement in 1993. She graduated from college the exact same year that I did. She goes there, and she is murdered by a black mob during a riot. After years of grief, her parents, Linda and Peter, quit their trendy upper-middle-class California jobs and moved to South Africa to complete the work their daughter started. Eventually, Amy's parents meet two of their daughter's killers who are now full of remorse. The two young men who have been pardoned try to atone for their crime by doing public service for a foundation the Bills established in the name of their daughter, Amy. Amy's parents forgive the two killers and they become friends. So much so that the young men address Amy's mother as mom. Now, I read a story like that and I think, no way! That's unnatural. That is unbelievable. That is outrageous. And yet Jesus calls us to forgive like that. In fact, He calls us to forgive everyone who harms us. In fact, in Jesus' most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, right at the heart of that prayer, He says these words. This is what He says. When you pray, He says, pray like this. Forgive us our sins... For we also forgive, what's the next word? What was that? Everyone who sins against us. Now, there have been tons of study on forgiveness over the past uh, few decades. And in the last five years alone, there have been a thousand case studies done on forgiveness and its effect on our lives. And across the board, what the evidence is showing is that forgiveness is essential for happiness. If you want to be a happy person, a joy-filled person, you forgive. And people who are unable to forgive, the studies report that they have higher stress in their life, there's more illness, they go to the doctor more often, and on and on and on. And yet, on the flip side of that, it says that if you let go of grudges, guess how much your stress level goes down? 
50%. Every time you let go of a grudge, your stress level goes down. And so when I allow anger and resentment to build up, what the studies show is that there are toxins that actually come and are produced in your body, and it can lead to things like heart attacks and digestive problems and chronic headaches and marriage breakdowns and depression and increased vulnerability to substance abuse. Did you see the front page of the Star Press this morning about prescription drug use in our county is up? Why? Because there's a lot of unforgiving people, and they mask it with a drug. Now, the reality is I'm not telling you guys anything new. You know the health benefits that come with forgiveness. I mean, you know that you're simply a healthier person when you're a forgiving person. In fact, in a recent Gallup poll, Americans were asked this question. Please tell me, is it important to forgive? And we've got some uh, statistics here. I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and tell me what percentage of Americans said uh, it is important to forget. So talk to your neighbor for a second. Take a guess. Okay. What do you think? 48, I heard. Okay. Now this is the thing. 63, I guess we only have one more. And the correct answer is 94%. 94% of Americans think that it is important to forgive. But when it came to people actually forgiving, let's throw the other question, do you usually try to forgive others? What do you think it is? Exactly. 48%. Now the reason why I think there's this discrepancy is because the theory of forgiveness sounds really great. Yeah, you should forgive. Or you should forgive. But when it comes to practically forgiving the people around us, it's a different story. When we hear Jesus tell us to forgive everyone, we nod our heads and we go, yeah, that sounds good, we should forgive everyone. And then someone offends us or hurts us and we go, now isn't there a loophole in this? You know? And when it comes to everyday grievances, I think the reality is we are a pretty forgiving people. Especially all of you, you know, because you're in church. You're the church lady. And the church lady, some of you don't even remember that, do you? Saturday Night Live, look up church late. But if someone comes late for an appointment, 15 minutes late, you let it slide. If someone neglects to turn on their turn signal, you're like, hey, you know, you let it go. If someone interrupts you because they have an urgent point, you're like, okay. And typically, we can tolerate some of those low-level grievances. But if a good friend betrays us, or if a boss doesn't give us credit, or a choice that we made that saved the company millions and they took it on themselves to do it, or our spouse has an affair, or if our parent verbally or physically abuses us, or a stranger comes in and breaks into our house and steals things, or a drunk driver kills someone in our family. Now that's a different story. I mean, how can you forgive in those situations? I mean, what did Jesus really mean when he said to forgive everyone? I mean, surely there are some exceptions, right? There's got to be a loophole. 
Now, for the rest of our time, what I want us to talk about is the freedom that comes with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just a one-time decision and then you let it go, but it is an ongoing process. You know, the power to forgive, to learn how to do that, is you're not going to be a graduate-level person today when you leave from this place. You won't. I'll give you some thoughts, but most of you will only remember about one thing, you know, 72 hours from now. But when you go home and someone hurts you, or you go to work and someone puts you down, or when you have a friend that betrays you, that is when you'll have to choose between freedom of forgiveness or the prison of unforgiveness. The freedom of forgiveness or the prison of unforgiveness. And the choice really is up to you. Now, for the rest of our time, I want us to look at four stages of forgiveness. But before I share those with you, I'd like to get real practical for a moment. Right now, I'd like you to think of the name of a person that you find it hard to forgive. So just think of that for a second. Who are you struggling to forgive? And it's got to be a person. I mean, it can't be the gas company. You know, $4 gas? I'd like to take them out, to be quite honest, you know. Or it can't be the government. You know, taxes are coming up. You can't... No, I'm talking about a particular person. Now, for some of you, you're going to have to dig over these next few minutes to figure out who that person is. Others of you, their picture came to your mind. In fact, you put their picture on a wall already, and you have a dart in your hand, and you're throwing it like a dartboard because you know who that person is. But we're just going to ask God to reveal to you who that person is that you need to forgive. You know, regardless of who it is that hurt you, Jesus really does want you to forgive them. And what I want you to realize that before you leave here today is that forgiveness is possible. It's possible. Forgiveness is not an impossibility. It is a possibility. You know, Jesus knew that forgiveness is the absolute best way for us to respond when a person hurts us. He realized that forgiveness was unnatural. That's why he gives us supernatural power. You see, if something is unnatural, you can't do it on your own, so you need supernatural power to fulfill it. And Jesus gives that to us. So let's look at these stages of forgiveness. Here's the first one. The first stage of forgiveness is we hurt. We hurt. When you and I are wronged in any way, we experience a very complex series of emotions. And it gets confusing to kind of sort all of those things out. But it essentially comes down to us acknowledging that we've been hurt. Now, when I talk about hurt, I'm not talking about little mistakes that people make or expectations that people don't meet in our lives. I mean those kind of things that need kind of, uh, you know, something deeper. Those other things that are small, you can just kind of say, you know what, I'm going to give a little grace, I'll let it slide. But what I'm talking about are hurts that are wounds. It's like a scab 
It's a wound that's connected to your life, and it's deep, and it hurts, and it's personal, unfair, and it's very costly. Those are the hurts that sometimes include things such as a person being disloyal to us, or a person betraying us, or intentionally trying to hurt us. And when those deeper wounds come up on us, you and I have to deal with that pain. And we have to name it. We name the hurt. We need to name the hurt so that we can move on to the process of healing. You see, the reality is, is many times we don't name it and we just get more resentful and more angry rather than naming the hurt. A few years ago, one of my best friends... Uh, we had grown up since childhood, was arrested for embezzling money from uh, the company that he worked for. And on the day that he was arrested, I got a phone call from his mom, and she told me the situation, and she's crying on the other end of the phone, and she's like, can you please come? And I dropped everything, because this was one of my best friends. I dropped everything, and I went directly to the jail so that I could meet with him. And over the next several weeks, uh, James, uh, is his name, was able to negotiate with his boss. And I spent countless hours myself in negotiation with his boss so that he wouldn't be sent to prison to negotiate a deal in which if he simply paid the money back and he quit his job, that everything would be fine. And it was during that time that uh, James's whole world was upside down. It was upside down before that. But this was just the pinnacle. And uh, he asked my wife and I for some money, and Jennifer and I gave him a large sum of our money. And we did that mainly because he had three kids that were on child support, and he wouldn't have any income for several months. And so we write this sacrificial check, and we mail it off to him. And I find, you know, electronically his name is signed. He cashed it the next day. But I never received a phone call. I never got a letter. I never got any thank you of any kind from James. And I felt really, really hurt. And finally, one day, I pulled out my prayer journal, and I was just so angry that I knew I had to name what my hurt was, and I wrote it down. I feel hurt by James. He used me, and now he's ignoring me. And I feel really, really offended. How could one of my best friends do that to me? I just want to urge you folks that if you're dealing right now with a big hurt, name it. Admit the fact that the person hurt you. And uh, for the longest time, I didn't do that because I thought, oh, it's not Christian, you know, to do that. No, it's very Christian to name the hurt. Or we think, oh, it's not going to be productive. No, name the hurt. Because if you try to move past beyond your pain before admitting the depth of the wound, the chances are the forgiveness that you're pursuing will never be real. It will never be legitimate. You'll simply kind of stuff that pain down until the pressure kicker, pressure cooker whistles out and it explodes. So don't rush too fast, folks, to excuse the injury inflicted on you or to ignore it or oversimplify it. You got hurt, so name it. 
Now, very soon after the hurt, or sometimes right during the hurt, many of us move on to the next stage of forgiveness. And it's a word that most of us don't like to say, but it's very true. And the word is, we hate. We hate. Lewis Meads, in his great book, he's a Christian author, uh, Forgive and Forget. And if you're struggling with forgiveness, I'd encourage you to get that. But it's called Forgive and Forget. says that if we're really being truthful, the stage of forgiveness goes from hurt to hate. Now, I know some of you are feeling uncomfortable with that word. How can they talk about hate in a church? Because none of us ever do that, right? I mean, we we got our lives together. No, it's a real word. And yet, hate, folks, is a very normal response after we've been hurt. I mean, you can call it something else. You can make it politically correct. You can make it more Christian if you want to. But when it comes right down to it, when we get hurt, we find hate following right along the way because of the wound that we've experienced. Well, after several weeks of not hearing from James at all, no phone call, no thank you, no anything, my hurt turned into hate. I mean, how can this guy be so thankless? How could he be so ungrateful? I mean, we had sacrificed some of our savings to keep his behind out of jail, and he can't even thank us for that. And bitterness and resentment just kind of penetrated into my heart. And to be honest, you know what? It felt good felt real good. You see, the truth is, in the short term, hate always feels good. You get a little self-righteous. I'm like, well, I'm not as horrible as he is. I'd at least send a thank you card. Or, you know what? That, that girl, that woman that you're having an issue with as a co-worker, she's a piece of dirt. I am a wonderful morsel of dessert. When we're at this stage, we rewind how that person hurt us over and over and over again. And we can imagine some very bad things happening to that person. You know, Jesus knew about the fact that resentment and hate, if held on long enough, eventually what it does, folks, it steals freedom. Not from the person who hurt you, but from yourself. Bitterness and resentment can consume us and prevent us from living the life, the abundant life, that God intended us to live. Smeed's in his book, Forgive and Forget, he says this, Let hate settle in for a while, take over the best room in our souls, and it becomes a disagreeable guest who will not leave when our party is over. We must understand, folks, that revenge never really gets what we want it to get. It is impossible to ever even the score once a person's hurt us. I can remember for several days being consumed by what James had done to me. Bitterness and hate towards him. I didn't want to call it hate, but that's what it was. I mean, I I, I would look in the mirror, I remember this, and I would think, you can't be that way, you're a pastor. You're a Christian. But if I was honest, folks, that's where it was for me. And I just knew, though, I couldn't sustain this. I would have headaches. I couldn't sleep very well. My stomach would turn. He consumed my thoughts. 
Folks, the truth is, is that Jesus came to teach us that if we hold on to hate long enough, it's like a poison that kills us. If we think we've satisfied our revenge, that feeling will never last very long. Hate will always win. It will always come back towards us. And so we have to replace our hurt and our hate with something that's supernatural, and that is forgiveness that destroys that spirit. Because if we don't do that, our spirits do get destroyed, and we don't have an ability to love. Let me say this. Our hate will always hurt us worse than the forgiveness we give to someone else. Our hate will always hurt us worse than the forgiveness that we can give to someone else. Now let me say this real quick. Don't confuse anger with hate. It's okay to get angry. Someone does something to you, anger actually can be a very healthy emotion. Jesus got angry several different times in Scripture. It's okay. How can anger, though, be a healthy emotion? You're thinking, how is that? Because if anger, if it's controlled, if it's uncontrolled, it's not healthy. But if it's controlled, it says, all right, I need to make a change here. And then all of a sudden, you forgive, or you let something go, or you go on with your life. But anger, if it's uncontrolled, it always leads back to hate. Now, the reality is is that most of us want to stay put at the stage of hurt or of hate. But Jesus urges us to move on to the next phase. And that stage of forgiveness, which is the most difficult, it's the hardest one because it feels like we're losing. It feels like we're surrendering. It feels like we're you know, waving a white flag. But this is the stage with God's help that really can happen. With God's help, we heal ourselves. We heal ourselves. Now, before we go any further, let me be very clear on this. Let me be clear on what forgiveness is not. We might know what forgiveness is, but what is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not instant or easy. It's not overlooking the excuse or excusing the person who's done wrong. It's not ignoring justice. It's not being a doormat and people can walk all over you. It's not a guarantee of repentance or reconciliation if you forgive. It's not forgetting the offense. You will never forget what that person did to you. And it's not even that you have to trust that person at the same level that you did before. I know many of you sitting right here, some of you have been hurt in some horrendous ways. You've been physically or sexually or emotionally abused in some way. And I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I know what you're going through because the reality is I don't. My life, if I looked over 40 years, for the most part, has not had a lot of hurt involved in it. My parents have protected me in many ways, but not all of you have experienced that. But I want you to know this, that forgiveness is not impossible. I mean, the more damage that you've experienced, the longer it's going to take to forgive or reconcile that. I get that. But God still wants you, regardless of however long it takes, to forgive. 
You see, the problem with forgiveness is that it often feels like we're losing. I mean, if I forgive, I have to give in. If I forgive, I have to give up control over my bitterness or my resentment. But let me ask you this morning, this question, a couple of them. What will you win by holding on to the hurt, anger, and sadness that go along with unforgiveness? I mean, what do you win, folks, if you do that? And then secondly, what will you lose if you really forgive? What do you lose by forgiving? The Bible says this, So put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth, because we belong to each other. Folks, for forgiveness to work, it has to be grounded in truth. We can't try and make the offense worse than what it is. You ever do that before? Someone offends you and all of a sudden you, you've created Charles Manson. And they didn't do that. They just talked behind your back. But oh my, you'd think it was the end of the world. At the same time, you can't excuse it either. They did something really bad and you just kind of put it underneath the rug. Folks, the reality is, no one really deserves to be forgiven. No one does. You don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven. No one deserves forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is spiritual surgery that we do, and it's primarily for the person who's been wounded, not the person who is wounded. You know what? Some of you have been carrying some stuff towards people, and they've already forgotten it. And you're just like, every time you see them, And they're like, whatever. You've got to let it go. Forgiveness is truly the only way to begin the healing process. Now, like, like I said earlier, it is not wise to forgive too quickly. But it's even more dangerous to wait too long. And some of you are sitting there right now, and this has been so uncomfortable for you because you know that there is something in your life, some person in your life that you have not forgiven. And it's uncomfortable. You've waited way too long. I mean, the longer you wait, folks, the longer you wait with hurt and with hate, and you treasure it, the more difficult it is to move on. And bitterness and resentment do this ugly thing to your life, and you never are healthy in the same way. At some point, folks, you simply have to say, with God's grace and His strength, I'm going to do the work of moving past the hurt and the hate, and I choose a path of healing even if it means I have to let that person free. I want a different future for my life. Again, forgiveness is not just a one-time decision, folks, but it is a daily choice. Because the temptation for all of us, when we get to that point, is to always run back to the hate and the hurt. But each time we do this, what happens is that person gains control over us. Did you realize that? Every time you choose not to forgive, every time you choose to carry bitterness or resentment, the other person wins. They control a piece 
of your life. When we forgive, that's when we take control back. Now, I have a feeling up to this point, most of you are like, okay, Bunch, that sounds pretty good. But how do we do it? How do we heal ourselves? How do we heal ourselves from hurt and hate? Here's the first step. We must seek understanding. You have to seek understanding. Now, this is a step, folks, that drives most people crazy. Because you have to... Look at the person who hurt you with new eyes. It's like you take your glasses off when you really want to forgive and you go, okay, now with new vision, I want to try to understand why they did this. You recognize that person's weakness, their needs. You realize why they may have done this offense towards you. And again, this does not mean you condone or you excuse what the person has done, but you seek understanding. And Jesus modeled forgiveness for us better than anyone else. Just think about the 24 hours before he went to a cross and he was crucified. He had been mocked. He had been horribly whipped. He had been forced to carry a cross by himself all the way up a hill. His hands then were nailed to a cross along with his feet. He's barely able to breathe. It was the worst form of execution there is Because he's nailed to a cross and eventually he just dies there because of his love for you. And what did he say there when he's hanging on the cross? I mean, what did he actually say? Do you remember what he said? It's the most astounding words I think there are in Scripture. He turns, let's read this together, it'll come up on the screen. It says... Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I believe that the reason Jesus was able to say that is because he looked out and he saw the hearts and the souls of those soldiers and those religious leaders and Pilate, and he realized that they were all threatened by him. And I think he saw their fear and their weakness. And seeing all this, Jesus wanted them to be forgiven. In his last breath, he was more concerned for people than he was himself. That's the kind of God you want to follow, folks. That's the kind of God you want to give your entire life to. And you want to follow his level of forgiveness. He sought to understand and to forgive. The second thing that you have to do once you seek understanding is that you gather information. You gather information. We seek understanding and then we gather information of why would that person do that to me. I find this enormously helpful, especially when it comes to our parents. Our parents, all of our parents, have hurt us in some way. Some in major ways and some in minor ways, but we've all been hurt. And when you try to gather information of Why is it they would have treated me like that in my childhood or during this moment? And you try to get some information like, what was their background like? What was their story? What was their strength? What was their weakness? Then all of a sudden, at least you can understand why your mom or dad might have hurt you in that because they were hurting. And hurt people hurt people. Then all of a sudden you get a different level of understanding. And then there's finally the third step that's the most powerful, and that is 
We want what's best for the person, and so we pray for them. We pray for the person who hurt us. And we pray, actually, that good things come their way, not bad things. When we pray for that, that the hurt eventually goes away. God does His greatest work, folks, when we forgive. Now, I will admit, when this first came into my situation with James, I did it with gritted teeth. I was like, forgive him, God. I really want what is best for his life. And as I prayed this more and more, eventually my gritting stopped. And as I prayed for him, the supernatural healing of God came into my life and things changed. One day, Jesus uh, had a friend of his, one of his best friends, by a guy by the name of Peter, came up to him and said this. He said, how many times should I forgive someone who has done something wrong to me? Is seven times enough? And I think Peter's like thinking, I'm being really generous. I've listened to you, Jesus. I'm not going to forgive him once or twice, but I'm going to forgive him seven times. But look how Jesus answered it. Not just seven times, but 77 times. And some of you are thinking right now, oh, I've forgiven him 77. (laughs) Folks, it was not a real number that Jesus was trying to give. He was saying that forgiveness, folks, is ongoing, it's continual, it never stops if you're going to be a follower of God. It's not a one-shot deal, but it's doing it over and over and over again. And we see how it works. Every time you remember your hurt, you release it. You remember it, you release it. You remember it, you release it. You remember it, you release it. You just keep saying over and over again, every time that image of that person or that hurt comes back to your memory, God, I give it to you again. For the 100th time, Lord, I'm letting you let him off the hook. I'm letting him off the hook. I'm forgiving that person in my mind. I relinquish my right to get even. Last stage. Well, where's reconciliation bunch in the midst of all this? I mean, that's ultimately what's important, right? You need to be reconciled. But the reality is, folks, is that some relationships, you're not going to get there. There will never be true, full reconciliation on this side of heaven. All of us have some of those. But there is the possibility to forgive, and for some of us, there is the possibility of a reunion. And the final stage is, how do we distinguish the difference between forgiving and reunion? How do we distinguish the difference between forgiving and reunion? Folks, forgiveness can happen even if reunion never does happen. But here are some of the distinctions between the two. It takes one person to forgive. You can forgive anyone. It takes two people for there to be a reunion. Forgiving really helps the wounded person, the person who's been hurt. When I forgive, I feel better. I feel free. Reunion, when it happens, both people experience that. We can forgive a person who has never said sorry to us whatsoever. We can forgive them. But we cannot have reunion unless that person says, I'm sorry for what I did to you. Two years ago, uh, 
James and I had a breakfast at Cracker Barrel. Now, what you need to realize is that James is six foot three and 270 pounds. He's just a little bit intimidating. I mean, I'm pretty massive, but not quite there. So I invited him to meet me at Cracker Barrel, and we had some small talk. And then this is what I said. James, I, part of the reason that I wanted to come here was to get reconnected, but mainly I wanted you to know that you hurt me. Jen and I gave you a substantial amount of money when you were going through one of the hardest times of your life, when it was jail or you were able to get out of jail, and you never sent me a thank you. And this big six foot three, 270-pound guy starts weeping in front of me. And I started crying too. And then I said, I want you to know that I need your forgiveness because I've been carrying some resentment and bitterness towards you for a very, very long time. And I have distanced myself because of that. And at this point, this giant of a man who's bawling turned to me and said this, Chris, I'm so sorry. You mean so much to me. I'm sorry. During that stage in my life, I was so lost. I'd gone through a divorce. I'd lost my house. My kids didn't want to speak to me. I was on my way to prison. But you were there for me. And I'm so grateful. It was the hardest time of my life. The reason I never went to you is because I felt ashamed. I mean, I just didn't want to admit how much I had messed up and how much I had hurt the people around me. And I didn't even think you would want to hear from me. In fact, I had plans to shoot myself if it wasn't for you and my girls. But you were there for me. I want you to know I'm sorry. I apologize And you will never know what it meant for me for you to come to my side. You helped to save my life, and I am just now kind of getting my life back together. Both of us had a face full of tears. We finished breakfast, and then the check came, and he picked it up. I said, darn right you're going to pick it up. And he reached out to me. We walked out to the parking lot. And he gave me this huge hug. I'll never forget these words. He said, the best stories of my life have you in it. And I'll never forget that. And then he said, quit crying. People are going to think we're sissies. And then we went on. (laughs) Folks, I know how hard it is to release people. Believe me, I really do. It took me over three years to finally fully forgive and release and to ask for God's blessing upon his life. It doesn't always mean that you're going to experience reunion. But the reality is is that sometimes it does. Sometimes, though, folks, it doesn't happen. And there's a scripture that is really important to remember in Romans. It says, 
as far as it is up to you, be at peace with everyone. Sometimes, folks, it's not up to you. Sometimes it's just not. Well, we've talked about forgiveness. We've read scriptures about forgiveness. We talked about stages of forgiveness. And now it really comes down to this, folks. Are you going to forgive? I'd like you to pull out right now a little uh, sheet here that was in your program. And it says, I want the freedom to forgive. And then there's a space there for you to write down a person's name. And what I want you to do after that is I want you to come up to uh, one of these two suitcases on each side of the stage and to just kind of put that in that suitcase. We were in the airport a, a couple of weeks ago and there were these people, they're, they're all over the place and they're all like carrying these bags, they're rolling it behind them, they're carrying these bags all over the place. And all of a sudden I just had this kind of image from God that those people are got valuable items that are in there. But the reality is for many of us, we're carrying this unforgiveness in our heart all over the place, all the time. We never let it go. We just carry it and carry it and carry it. And I just wonder today if God may not be asking you to take the first step towards forgiving that person. It doesn't mean you trust them the same, but you forgive them and you write down their name. And as we're doing that, the band's going to lead us in a, in a song on healing. And then I'll close us in prayer. So take some time right now to just think of that one person that you need to forgive. You know who it is. And then you put it down. Let's pray. God, every single one of us probably have at least one person to forgive. For some of us, God, it's someone who's hurt us pretty bad and we need to put that name down and we need to let that baggage go together. We don't want to carry it anymore and so we're going to leave it in the suitcase here that you take care of. And so, Lord, I just pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come, you'd convict people, and people would receive healing today as they forgive those who've hurt them. I pray this in Jesus' name.